0: Create. Innovate. Collaborate. Artificial intelligence is one of the most misunderstood areas of computing in today's industry landscape. The word for many raises fear of cyborgs taking over and enslaving human beings. And if you believe the mainstream media, it's all going to happen in the next 10 years or so. However, the reality of artificial intelligence is somewhat different whether you're a founder of a startup, a C-level executive, board director, it's imperative that we understand what it means when we talk about artificial intelligence and debunk the myths from the realities. With me today is someone who can do exactly that. She holds a PhD in neuroscience where her area of study is the neural mechanisms of voluntary decision making. She leads Australia's biggest AI meetup group in Brisbane with over 2000 members and is the AI Specialist for the Office of the Chief Entrepreneur in Brisbane, and is now also the founder of a new venture called Spaceport AI. Please welcome to the show one of the leaders in the AI space in Australia, Dr. Natalie Renz. Natalie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Fred. It's really good to be on here.
0: Natalie, it's awesome to have you on the show and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your insane schedule. You've got an interesting journey. You started as a neuroscientist, you did your PhD in neuroscience, and now you're regarded as one of the leaders in artificial intelligence within Australia. Can you take us through that journey of, of what led you from, I guess, starting out you know, in, in that hardcore science area to now one which people... From the outside, would consider is very much the domain of computer scientists?
1: <laughs> Good question. Um, so, I guess my entire life I always wanted to do something that would have impact on humanity, I guess. And I realized during my PhD that academia was not really what I was wired for, and I wanted to, to really go out there and effect change, um, especially more rapidly. And I didn't really have an idea at the time what exactly that would be because I, I spent my entire life thinking I was going into research. So I, I literally just started going to things that interested me. I started tutoring things like design thinking, that that was fascinating. And I ended up at a conference, um, which then took me to another conference in Silicon Valley, which was about emerging technologies. And that was the first time that I saw all of these tech, technologies that were essentially shifting the entire face of the world and one of those was obviously artificial intelligence. And There was a lot of discussion about all the changes they would have uh, and also the fact that society wasn't really aware or engaged with, with these kind of changes where they should be. And so that really kicked off my journey. Uh, for me, I saw technology for the first time as an enabler that allows you to really help more people um, all at once than you could do, for example, just researching with science. Um, and I came back and I looked for people who were also interested in technology and artificial intelligence and I didn't really find any groups doing this, so I started the Meetup Brisbane AI with Yooksy uh, at the time. And things really just spiraled from there. So from just being really passionate about this and bringing in speakers and creating events and introducing them to some of the people in Queensland, I was asked to develop AI strategy for the state. And from doing that work, this has really now led to where I'm at now.
0: It's just been me learning just because I love the field so much. That's an amazing story. I don't, I don't want our listeners to miss the point of this AI group that you started up. So you come back from these conferences in the States. You start looking around for people who understand AI, who you can talk to about AI. You find not very many people, and you, and, and you go, hey, let's start an AI group. Now, that, start, that AI group now has, I believe, close to 2,000 people as part of it. How did you do that? <laughs>
1: Uh, went on Meetup, <laughs> registered
0: a group called. Bristol. Is it that easy, Natalie? Come on, don't don't downplay no. this. Come on, how did you do this?
1: <laughs> no, really, I don't understand. Like, I really don't understand. I think um, obviously I've put a lot of work into this. It takes, I guess, effort to um, to bring, bring in the speakers that I think people will connect with that are uh, going to talk about applications, but also talks about their technical detail. Um, We have a very, very crowd. But at the start, we really, like, we made the group, but we had no expectation of any of this. Um, Before our first meetup in February, already um, we had a hundred people signed up to come to that, and it just grew massively. And I I think there is some kind of latent interest that we had already sitting in in Brisbane. And then I, I worked really hard to make sure that it was always going to be accessible for people. Um, AI is a really, you know, it's a kind of daunting topic. And I think that's the biggest bottleneck to people being in this field. So for me, that's, that's really what I just tried to do is show everyone how exciting it is and that it's not really hard. You know, you can get into this field and over time you're going to have to develop skill, but there's a lot of ways that you can even start to recognize and use AI in general life. Um, so maybe it's the ethos that's really carried this group, but the community itself is incredible and they do most of it just by yeah, being who they are
0: and being excited about this. You mentioned AI is a very daunting field and artificial intelligence is an umbrella term that is starting to be used quite irresponsibly in <laughs> just like all buzzwords do. Mm. Can you quickly give us a 50,000-foot view of what are the various disciplined areas or segments within that AI umbrella term?
1: Yeah, so artificial intelligence uh, was coined in 1956, so it's a very old field, um, actually, and it's gone through its different cycles. Today, AI really encompasses a range of, I guess, branches, which you will hear of. Uh, these include, you know, typical computer vision and robotics and the old school kind of expert systems. And then there's one specific branch, uh, which is called machine learning. Um, which has really garnered most of the interest today. And machine learning is kind of self-explanatory. It's about how do we actually get an algorithm to learn in a way which is similar to how a human might learn. Um, And within machine learning, there is deep learning, and this is really the major advancement of the last decade. Um, So this is a type of machine learning that uses artificial neural networks, uh, which are inspired from the brain, um, to be able to basically extract more complex, uh, Relationships or patterns from data um, to make decisions. Um, and it's so powerful, um, especially in recent times, that most of the things that we're doing now and most of what you'll hear on the news, uh, you know, with autonomous vehicles and uh, with the latest, you know, facial recognition, et cetera, like these will all be using deep learning um, to basically look at all these patterns of data, look at images, and actually be able to identify um, this is, a, you know, this is
0: your face or, uh, yeah. This is what we shouldn't be driving into. Then the key takeaway there is when when artificial intelligence specialists talk about deep learning or deep neural networks, effectively what they're saying is the methods used in order to have machines think like humans in order to make decisions. Is that effectively what we're saying? It's at least one approach
1: <laughs> um, which typically uses kind of supervised learning where we're actually you're taking all of these patterns from massive and massive amounts of data and explicitly saying this is what you're, what you're trying to look for. So it's one way of looking at learning. It's not really how humans learn. Like you don't, as a four-year-old, have to look at 1,000 cats before you realize that that's a cat. Um, so that's kind of been the criticism of this field is that we're able to achieve a lot of things at the moment uh, because we have so much data and because we have so much processing power. But at the end of the day, it's not really what we think of as human learning. Um, and really, a lot more of the work in that field is towards uh, deep reinforcement learning, or at least that's what I'm more excited about, where I think we might hit the next breakthrough. Um, and that's more about how do you actually have this kind of reward for being able to identify something and then learning from that rather than learning from this explicit table. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. I think that was a really good explanation. When I think about this, though, I get into this mind space that for machines to be able to do this at the scale that we're expecting, particularly when we start scaling this from an industry perspective, do we have computers that have the processing power to really be able to do that at this point in time? Or does the ability to keep creating more processing power, such as the fields of quantum computing, etc., they need to grow side by side in terms of the development of artificial intelligence. I definitely think there's huge
1: potential with quantum. Uh, I would by no means call myself an expert in this field, uh, but obviously uh, this to be able to give us, you know, more parallel processing in a, in a way. Um, but... In the meantime, I would actually say that what we're trying to do is to get algorithms to be more efficient rather than requiring such heavy processing. Um, if you think about a human brain, it doesn't take you know, the megawatts of energy or like the amount of time that we are currently using to train algorithms. Um, so if we can actually improve on the algorithms to get higher efficiency, that would be the jackpot, um, really. And also, we do already have Insane processing available to us. I think it's one of those things where um, we have massive cloud computing services that so you can hire, you know, thousands of servers on AWS if you wanted to um, to be able to get a project done. And the amount of breakthroughs in GPU, which is what it, all of the deep learning runs on every you know year or so, is just insane. So it, especially with the money that's now pouring into the field, so yeah, I don't. I wouldn't really say that that's our bottleneck. Our bottleneck is really the, the algorithmic advancement.
0: Could you say more about that in terms of the bottleneck being the algorithm? Is it the creation of the algorithms or the data that's available to fuel those algorithms? I think we actually need to go,
1: we need to try to develop to a point where we're not so dependent on data. So even with, I guess, the most um, visible problem at the moment with autonomous vehicles, the reason that we're not really there yet is because we, we rely on having data for every single scenario that a car might come across and that's not how a human drives. Like, you could see a squiggly line on the side of the road and you wouldn't just stop to freak out or label it as a plastic bag. You would realize it's probably just a line and I'm not going to drive into it. Um, whereas, yeah, at the moment with autonomous vehicles, because we rely on the ability to predict based on lots of examples, um, that, is, that is the problem. Um, these things like reinforcement learning um, that I mentioned uh, might be able to help overcome it or if we develop different types of structures where we embed, for example, old school symbolic representations like, to allow us to generalize beyond specific examples, that also might be an option. Um, yeah, we have a lot, a lot of ways to, to go in terms of developing the next generation, uh, which will happen in time. But at the same time, we're, we're able to achieve so much right now with deep Learning that I think that there's maybe not enough incentive to keep going at the moment.
0: That's interesting. What I got when you said that was almost the data is creating, in a sense, too much noise, and we need to start limiting that noise so the algorithms can learn specifically on the data that's important to making those decisions.
1: Yeah, I think if if ultimately our goal is to make something really intelligent, uh, if you if you think about something that's just looking at you know thousands or millions of examples. And in human hours, that would take them, you know, 40 years to look at all those things and finally be able to say exactly, like, this is how I need to drive on this road, et cetera. That's not really intelligence. It's actually incredibly inefficient. We're just being aided now by the fact that we have so much data, and we have so much processing. Um, and many of these algorithms, you can show that something that we had 20, 30 years ago, before we had all of this, is actually equivalent. The only thing that's changed is that we're now able to do things a bit faster. Um, so we haven't really advanced in that regard um, to really how intelligent the algorithm itself is at being able to learn, and especially as we go towards you know so-called artificial general intelligence, uh, that will be the, the major breaker. Is we need to be able to develop something that can generalize much faster from data than we can now. We can learn you know from seeing something four times rather than forty thousand.
0: And is that does that come from an incremental improvement in the algorithm itself and its ability to filter out that data?
1: I don't know if I would call it data filtering per se. I definitely the, the quality of the data you put in largely determines what you'll be able to figure out. I think uh-huh. I, I think really it's developing new architectures or new okay like new models that incorporate multiple like architectures within them, um, which a lot of people are working on. That that's really what i would see happening next
0: i saw an interview that you did earlier this year i think it was around the myriad conference where you said a really interesting quote and it's as human beings we're very good at fearing change and we're very very bad at imagining things we've not seen before i believe this is a tremendously insightful statement if you could create a picture in your mind of of 10 years down the track, 20 years down the track, let's say, where artificial intelligence is taking us, what kind of world do you see?
1: I think what I'm most excited by moving forward is how we start to merge these intelligence uh, software applications uh, with the physical world. Uh, So how do you have a city which is completely responsive to the humans around it, you know, that can have more greenery in it and can adapt to life levels and can get rid of pollution or um, according to humans and what we want in our environment. Um, I think even things like robotics and the ability to navigate the world in different ways with, you know, autonomous vehicles or with drones coming in, um, the ability to send search and rescue out that, you know, can identify and save people um, with pods without... Having to actually have humans go out there on foot and search—all those kind of really embodied applications are what excite me personally. I think as well, we're about, well I think we're really at the starting point of what we can do with wearable technologies as well, um, and what that can enable humans to do by embedding it with like intelligent software. I've got one guy who's um, who reached out to me who who l- uses this uh, reinforcement learning technique um, to work with prosthetics, so you can have. Um, prosthetic devices that essentially learn to be able to like walk or to help you walk in the way that your your gait functions or can move in the way that you actually like to be able to move your arms and I think all of those ways of embedding it with a human are just yeah they fascinate me and then for me I think in 10 years time we should be on Mars so that's an entire new world that we haven't explored at all um, we're really we're, we're open to any possibility
0: um, in terms of what we want to create there do you see that as the future of AI where machines are augmenting humans or do you see it as being much more immersive than that?
1: I think the objective that we're all trying to aim for is that we have this human machine collaboration in the future. future. Uh, it's not about AI taking over what we do. And that's just not economically smart in the first place that we just eliminate everybody's roles. Um, and for the most part, the kind of capabilities that AI have are complementary to ours. Uh, so they can become very, very good at doing one specific task because we can train them to do that one specific task, uh, but they don't necessarily generalize. Um, and that, that makes for something really good at, for example, um, identifying uh, what your cancer is going to look like, um, but it's not going to help you deal with the patient and actually determine the long-term kind of plans and that human side that you need. So I would like to think that as we move forward, we get more and more collaborative uh, with AI.
0: That, that's a really interesting viewpoint that you've expressed. So just for our listeners, you don't see – do you see AI affecting and um, removing jobs or do you see it more of reshaping the existing jobs that we have?
1: Uh, I think we can't avoid the fact that some jobs will be lost, uh, that it won't be as many perhaps as uh, mainstream media – Tend to portray. So I think in the formal analyses, the, the number of jobs that are completely replaced, is between 5 to 14%. And they're kind of the ones that you can maybe expect. So if you're something like um, a truck driver, we already have autonomous trucks coming in um, from the mine sites, for example, completely run on, on autonomous vehicles already. Um, so you can kind of see that this is maybe coming. And if you're in those companies, I would actually say that there's some level of ownership that needs to come from leaders to start developing education tokens, for example, that they can start to retrain into other fields. I think for the majority of fields, uh, what we'll see is a shift in the work that we do. So some of the tasks that we do will be automated um, to allow us to do things that we probably want to spend more time on anyway. And then on the other side is all the jobs that we would never have thought of before that will be created uh, with the advancing use of AI as well as another uh, technology such as uh, augmented reality or you know blockchain, etc. cetera. Uh, but I guess I try to remain hopeful. I think even in terms of industrial uh, era, the amount of jobs that were uh, basically eliminated by machines were equally compensated by new jobs that were created. And I, I think that will happen again.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting viewpoint. I mean, if you look at the three previous industrial revolutions and consider that we're now well into the fourth industrial revolution or at least 10 years into it, you know, it's always been that same conversation where machine automation has taken jobs and we've just evolved those jobs and, and mm-hmm. generally become higher skilled over that period of time. I guess what I hear you saying is that you don't see that as being any different in this instance. It's just that we haven't got to a point yet where we've been able to reimagine what those jobs look like.
1: I think so. I do think that there's a caveat and. That this time, everything moves so much faster than it does before. And so the amount of time that people have to prepare for a new career, for example, um, is a lot shorter than that amount of time that companies have to prepare for the shift is shorter. We're already sitting in somewhat of a crisis in terms of what we do with our education system because we know that we're not preparing people for the future, but we haven't managed to shift our curriculum fast enough to actually change that. Um, and then the second factor that we really do have to think about carefully maybe not immediately, but um, definitely in the next decades, is that AI is different because for the first time we are able to take over things which are in some ways intelligent tasks. And there is really no way of predicting if we get to a point that they can take over far more than we are expecting at the moment. Um, it's already advanced in some fields, much faster than we we're expecting. In others, obviously, it hasn't. It's not really kept up. All ton of vehicles haven't hit the jackpot that we thought they would, um, but I, I think there's reason to be more cautious now, but still optimistic, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What fields do you see it really starting to make an impact now and where do you see the emerging fields that we're still just starting to hit in terms of those horizons that are coming?
1: I think it's honestly impacting almost every field. Uh, we may may not just realise it. Uh, one that's really been more... Mainstream is the amount of impact it can have on the healthcare system because if you look at anything like diagnosis, if you can now instead of relying on one doctor to make a single judgment in whatever state they're in, whether they're tired, whether they've seen 100 patients that day, if you can actually pull all that data from you know every single diagnosis that has ever been made and really fine-tune it based on that and then give more time to doctors to be able to do patient care, etc., that is a massive win for everyone. And it allows us not only to have more stable uh, medical treatment, but to be able to reach people that we couldn't reach before. So now if you're in a regional area or, you know, if you don't have, you're not part of a higher socioeconomic group, you can now have access to this technology um, and obviously better healthcare as a result. Plus it offers the ability to completely shift the way we do medicine because for the first time we can actually predict ahead of time with uh, far more detail, especially once you start to have more widespread use of uh, wearable technologies, uh, what somebody might be facing in future, and you can treat them before that actually is them in the hospital dying of a heart attack. Um, so I think it's also going to cause a really interesting shift. Well, I would like to see an interesting shift in the healthcare system that it becomes more functional rather than this, this reactive process. And this has really only been enabled because of AI.
0: What about areas in terms of law, for instance, where it, it requires a lot more... I guess, reading between the lines in those grey areas of law. I mean, does artificial intelligence have a role to play in industries such as the legal profession? I mean, there's, there's okay. clearly a case for just the shuffling of paper, as you would in a conveyancy or something like that. But in terms of criminal law or complex contract law, where you have to read between the lines and interpret, you know, the grey areas of law, do you ever see artificial intelligence making an impact in, in those types of industries?
1: Yeah, I think i probably stayed clear of commentary on law because it's a little bit contentious. Um, I think it's one of those professions that sits in the highly experienced uh, zone, but also probably um, quite vulnerable to how much can be done by AI. Um, so they've really said a lot of things like legal aid could actually theoretically be quite heavily replaced by AI, AI because it, there is so much um, basically reliance on previous or work-learned data that um, is involved in law. In some cases, I think it could be really good. Uh, there is the kind of famous uh, study about how sentencing for criminals uh, is basically uh, more severe in the morning, just before lunch, than it is after somebody has eaten lunch. And like those kind of uh, manipulations to what like essentially determines somebody's life. Um, you don't really want to have that in the system and theoretically, you could eliminate that by using AI, which is obviously more objective. The other side of that is that if you start to rely on AI to, for example, help with criminal sentencing or whatever legislation you're passing, etc., AI, especially in things like machine learning or deep learning, is built entirely on historical data. And I think it's kind of funny in the field that we now start to have a lot of uproar about this bias that we see in our algorithms when all that bias has come from what us as humans have basically made our decisions on in the last decade. Um, So I think there is a bit of a danger in uh, relying on that at the moment without being very acutely aware of what features you're actually making the decisions based on.
0: Yeah, no, look, that's a really interesting point because a lot has been said about this. I mean, if you look at the data that we do have today, a lot of it is human-generated, so it has that human bias to it. Even the algorithms that have been created to an extent have – A degree of human bias to it. Mm -hmm. At what point can we turn around and say we have a clean start with this and we can start trusting that data?
1: The easiest way really um, when you're using these algorithms is that you don't include the factors that you think you shouldn't be basing your decision on. So if you don't include things like gender or you know what suburb does somebody live in then that is kind of like a high-level way of saying, okay, we, we don't think that we're, we're being biased in our assumptions here. The problem is that you can still find ways that an algorithm base, basically in, interpolates other factors to get to the same kind of bias over time. Um, the other problem with deep learning, which is what most of the um, recent hype has been about, is that it's considered a black box. So we ultimately don't often know what it is that's driving the ultimate decision. Um, so in order for us to get to a point that we can really feel we know what these decisions are based on and they're not biased, we would either need to come up with better techniques, uh, which people are working on, um, to be able to extract what those decisions are based on, or we would need to use you know, more simple um, but more explanatory techniques such as decision trees to make sure that we do have some level of control over
0: that. What would be your top three AI projects that you currently have within your purview?
1: Um, one of my favourite projects that's out there already, um, it's called the Human Diagnosis Project, and this is related to what I was speaking about with health before. So that's a platform where people can go in and describe the symptoms and it'll send it out to the cloud. At the moment, um, that'll go to clinicians to be able to send back a, a diagnosis. Um, but the system is using this um and, to basically create a database for AI to one day be able to diagnose um, wherever you are. Um, and that's that started not that long ago in America to try to reach out to the, the lower socioeconomic regions, and it's now going global. So I love that project um, because it takes all the positives to really affect major change for people. Uh, I, yeah, I guess I'm probably biased because I come from biomed originally, but definitely yeah. Bionics is another major one for, for me. Bionics mixed in with uh, virtual reality. I think we're, we will start to see people regaining um, the ability to walk, for example, in the next few years. And this also opens up amazing opportunities for elderly because you can start to have things that can support your frame um, and enable you to be more independent for longer, um, which will be important as we, you know, we face this increasingly aging population. Um, and then I'd really like to see robotics come of age in general, we, it's probably the hardest field that exists uh, at the moment. It's, yeah, <laughs> they're just ridiculously hard to work with. And I see my friends who are on these fields just struggle daily with the physics of getting their robots to just, like, walk around the environment or do anything useful in terms of social interactions. Um, and, yeah, I think as we go forward, I would like to see the next 10 years
0: really crack this, um, this field. Because I have you here and I'm talking to someone who is a specialist in the field, one thing I've always wondered about, you, 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 and it's really interesting you bring up this field of robotics, you hear these things like this robot that became a citizen in United Arab Emirates, for example, or you see the YouTube clip of that amazing robot jumping between boxes and doing backflips. Mm. How much of that today is smoke and mirrors and how much of it is actual reality, i.e. this robot is thinking for itself and it's moving because we don't get that coming through in those videos, but they paint a picture that's very different.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so that that first robot, Sophia, I, really annoys me.
0: <laughs> it annoys me too, which is why I brought it up
1: it really perpetuates this false belief in where we're at with robotics. And a lot of the things that they do is just charades. So they pre-program responses. Um, And even things like giving citizenship to a robot, I don't understand how this has any merit for anybody other than freaking out because they're, you know, at the point that they could basically be human like us. Um, So, yeah, I think it's actually
0: quite, I don't know.
1: Immature, they've done well, it's
0: that. almost it's almost damaging because it creates yep. a fear and paranoia that's removed from reality. Yes,
1: yeah. So I think like even most of the the things where I engage with public, it's really about you know this is where we're at. This is the incredible applications um, that we can see with AI, um, and these are you know where we can be headed in the future with these portions. It's not like let's freak out because there's this robot that's a citizen. Um, so it really doesn't help with that general dialogue when we're trying to get a lot of people to be aware of what AI is um, and to be able to use it themselves. You know, we don't get destroyed by what happens next. Um, but mm. Yeah, that's why that annoys me. <laughs> mm. Uh, mm. And then Boston Dynamics, they they are legit. <laughs> they are an insanely good company, um, but that's not AI. That is the program, all those things that you see with the dogs and with the somersaults.
0: Yeah, so that's really important for yeah. people to know, I think, is, is that machine is not thinking for itself. Yeah. It's pre-programmed to jump on boxes and do a backflip. The amazing thing there is the mechanical engineering, which allows it to move fluently like a human, not the fact that it's thinking like a human to do those things. And I think that's a real separation that people miss when they're looking at these um, uh, YouTube clips.
1: Yep, exactly. You said it.
0: How well do you think Australia is positioned at the moment in regards to becoming, I guess, a hub of innovation around artificial intelligence
1: very poorly
0: um we
1: are behind many of the countries (laughs) um trying to find out how i can say this systematically, but yeah um yeah we haven't invested the money uh we haven't got the innovation culture yet that supports it we have you know an incredibly low innovation efficiency, even from our universities, to creating anything useful within our industry. Um, we're waiting on an AI policy, but that'll definitely that'll be that'll be out next year. So at least we're moving forward in that in that regard. I have faith, though, that we can we can kind of leapfrog um, what other countries have done. We can learn from what is working for them. Uh, we can capitalize on the things that we are really good at here. Uh, such as our robotics industry. Um, And for me, I'm kind of banking on space because it's a field that other countries, except for maybe the US, haven't really taken ownership of. And so I think if we do something that can allow us to really draw international interest, both in terms of getting talent here, which would also require some shifts with our visas, um, but getting talent and getting expertise, like in general to come here or research, labs to set up here and then getting investors interested in the country, then that might actually give us enough uh, of what it would take to, to own a space and to do something really well in AI. Um, but in general, yeah, we're, we need to really up our game.
0: Absolutely. I find it really fascinating that you talk about space, and I now want to talk about Spaceport AI. You founded <laughs> Spaceport AI. Um, can you take us through what led you to that point where you went, I really need to found a company or a project that's focused on human colonisation of space?
1: <laughs> um, so I guess if I think about it long term, ever since I was little, uh, I mentioned before, I, I really wanted to always help the whole world. And I travelled a lot as a kid, so I think part of it was just that I grew up thinking the whole world was, you know, part of my tribe <laughs> versus like if I'd grown up in one town. Um, and then I had these ambitions to go and run off into the Amazon rainforest and explore and find new cures for people and bring them back. And I think part of that was always in there. Um, and even my, like my grandfather uh, was basically, him and his brother were the first people to set up commercial flights in South Africa. So there's something that kind of just sits there um, your whole life. And I'd never really found it um, in my studies. So I did biomedical science and neuroscience, trying to find this way to really help people and I'd looked at the space uh, field for ages. I followed basically everything Elon Musk and SpaceX did. Um, but for me, it seemed like it was the realm of engineers and, you know, it wasn't really accessible. plus like, you know, they were just going up and building rockets and there was nothing else really for me to do. And then in February this year, uh, I saw that Starman launch into space with SpaceX's um, test flight. And for some reason, they kind of just struck home. And it it took a few weeks for everything to sink in. But I realized for the first time that we're actually going to Mars and we get to be the generation that does that. And if we're going to Mars, there are a whole bunch of problems that we need to conquer. So I researched very heavily into that um, over the next few months to see what was being done. And I think it was quite stark, um, even SpaceX has said it, that uh, we really don't have uh, currently enough entrepreneurial investment basically in this field um to be able to build a settlement by the time that the rockets would be ready to go there um and so for me it was really just all these elements that i would ever felt coming together um and i don't know it's kind of it's this weird conviction that you get and it's just it's something that's big enough it's something that can unite everybody towards you know this greater purpose and can Enable us to develop technology that not only will enable us to, you know, go to a different planet for the first time, uh, but also by doing so bring back all those state-of-the-art technologies to help people on Earth. Uh, so yeah, I started the company four months to the day from the Starman's launch, um, and it's, yeah, it's taking off pretty fast.
0: I think I could imagine. Right. I I could imagine it would because it's such a, a fascinating area of study that brings together a whole bunch of different disciplines and technology disciplines and focus areas. What exactly is Spaceport AI? Is is it an incubator? Is it a uh, social enterprise? Is it a research organisation? What exactly is it set up to do and and how is it going about doing
1: it? Yeah, so we have 10-year plans or projects um, based on the challenges that we think we need to overcome uh, to be able to survive in space, um, and they fall into what we put as three domains of human systems, autonomous systems, and sustainability. And the way that we're approaching this is obviously we're a startup. We don't have you know, $100 million to just play with 10-year projects, um, but we know that with AI, we can achieve a lot of like smaller elements of those end projects that we will need um, by basically partnering with, with commercial partners uh, to deliver those projects. Um, and every time we, we do a project, uh, the goal is that it has an element that we know that we need long term. Um, we're getting basically validation by implementing that uh, on Earth or in the real world. They're um, also getting funding to basically go into what we need as long term research. So that's how we're tackling it. And we just, I think the other part of just having a really crazy ambition is we're managing to attract really, really nice <laughs> AI talent to join the team. So we can do the really hard problems that other companies around here would necessarily take on, take on board.
0: And are you inviting partners to come in and collaborate with you or are you actively going out and seeking collaboration partners such as universities and, and certain industry bodies? Uh,
1: we're definitely open to people approaching us. Um, we've had a few people come to us with some really crazy projects which just sound really fun. Um, and if they align with what we want to achieve long-term, then, yeah, we open that uh, conversation Otherwise, uh, we're going out to companies that we definitely view as being good long-term partners um, or or currently in industry, Um, yeah, and basically tell them what's the kind of project they're working on.
0: Where are you in terms of developing the venture? How far along are you and what are some of the interesting projects, if you can discuss them, that you're currently working on or about to start working on?
1: So we're in project negotiation at the moment, so I probably can't discuss (laughs) <laughs> Massive details, <laughs> um, but yes, one is around creating um, intelligent communication networks. Another one is with going this wearable route. Um, how do you monitor and then predict in advance uh, the health and cognitive demands um, of somebody? So how does that lead to the performance, for example, over time? Um, and for that one, we definitely we're trying to build up to eventually get to a point that we can have this next suit, and then. Uh, the third one we're looking at is there's a lot of um, there's a lot of really good applications we can do around autonomy. So how do you, for example, design a, a robot or a rover that can function on the lunar um, habitat or on the Mars habitat?
0: That's Has Elon Musk <laughs> reached out to you yet? Uh, you know, surely this is when he hears about this, he's going to go, hey, I'll build the rocket, you can build everything else. You mentioned there's not many of these. I, I guess, hubs around that are doing this type of work. Is spaceport AI, in your view, really a world first where you're bringing this expertise, knowledge, and ability to bring these projects to life together?
1: Um, I don't know if it's a world first. <laughs> okay. It's something that I definitely think we need to have done. There's a lot of people working on new space. There's um, even Moonshot in Melbourne who are working really hard to develop accelerators for new space startups. Um, so I think there's a lot of people pushing this field forward. I don't know how many people have focused specifically on what we can be doing with AI to augment this. Um, and I would I would definitely also hope that, you know, we're, we're showing that this can be done, that even as we move forward, like I go to LA next week to start looking at how we can set up our headquarters there, like commercial headquarters. And I would love that one day we have this entire hub, like with all of these people who are working on some of the problems um, I don't think this is about us, like, doing this unique thing. It's about us really showing that everyone else can get on board and do this as well um, because we need everyone to work on this uh, to be able to, to make it work and make sure we don't die in 10 years when we try to colonise. <laughs> if,
0: if someone's listening to this podcast, you know, to collaborate with you around Spaceport AI, how, how do they get involved in this initiative and, and how can they reach out to you to, you know, have a discussion uh, to mm-hmm. see whether they can play in this space?
1: Uh, I guess I'm pretty accessible on social media. So my Twitter is Natalie Wren, uh, Spaceport AI is over there. And then natalie at spaceport.ai <laughs> if you want to email me. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody who's interested in this.
0: Well, Natalie, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Good luck with Spaceport spaceport.ai. Um, I'd love to get involved in some way <laughs> as it evolves. Um, you can do our and, podcast. And- absolutely and I'd love to talk to you again in the future so thanks thank you very much for your time
1: thank you so much for having me